Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 202. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today's episode is a really interesting one. We've got two guests who will be joining me who are going to help us break down how exactly to market yourself after you've taken time off for your career. So maybe you've taken time off to have a child, to care for a loved one, and you're just getting back on the job search saddle, which can be really nerve wracking and your confidence can take a huge hit. So if that sounds like you, today's episode is for you. Stick around. It's going to be awesome. I want to also break some news here. You may have seen my email yesterday if you're an email insider for Bossed Up, which you can always join our email list at bossedup.org if you're not. We have decided to extend the enrollment period for Hired, my new job search accelerator program. The three-month program will now start at the very top of the new month, at the top of March, instead of midway through February, which in retrospect was kind of a silly idea. There were so many of you who wanted to chat with me one-on-one to talk through the details and see if this program was right for you. So we wanted to extend the enrollment period to allow for more time. So if you've got questions about Hired, if you want to know personally, if your job search situation would benefit from our program, feel free to drop me a line at emily at bossedup.org. And like I mentioned, the enrollment period is open until the end of February. It's our three-month job search accelerator program that includes weekly video lessons, small assignments that you will get my personalized feedback on, and most importantly, weekly accountability calls with a group of five or fewer of your peers in the job search process. So if you're sick of going it alone and you want to take your job search to the next level and really land the best possible next job opportunity for you, head to bossedup.org slash get hired to get all the details and enroll today. All right. Joining me on the podcast today are the two co-founders of Prepare to Launch You, an e-learning company that provides instruction, inspiration, and community to women navigating work-life transitions along the continuum of life. Co-founders Kelly Biskupiak and Susan Raitano-Davy are joining me on the podcast today to share what they've learned through their online career re-entry course, which boasts students in 26 states and counting, and what they've learned through their instructional offerings, including a first-of-its-kind online maternity leave planning course, a family leave planning course on LinkedIn Learning, and their experience speaking at conferences and offering corporate workshops, which, by the way, is where we first met while speaking on the same panel at the Pennsylvania Conference on Women. Susan and Kelly, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thanks so much for having us, Emily. We are thrilled to be here. So we first crossed paths at one of the many conferences on women that we've had the pleasure of speaking at. Was it was it Philly? Philly. Yeah. Yeah. You were you and I were on the same panel together, which was great. Yes. And it was so wonderful hearing about your work, about your organization, prepare to launch you. Why don't we start by giving us a little bit of background on why you started this organization and what it exists to do? Well, what the company is, is it's a learning company, and we basically guide women through work and life transitions. So in the very early part of career, we help women with our courses and seminars on maternity leave, how to set yours up so that you're successful at home and at work, and that your workplace remains successful. So we kind of look at it from 360-degree perspective. We're looking at it, we're both moms. Kelly just took our our course real time because she just had a baby seven weeks ago. We'll talk about that in a moment. Congrats. Yeah, it's so it's so much fun. But of course she has she's self-employed. 
and her business partner totally gets it because <laughs> I've done it too. Most women aren't so fortunate. So our course and our, our learning opportunities in that vein are helping women understand how to make sure that all of the stakeholders' our needs are being met at home, at work, the client, the coworker, et cetera. And then on, we offer short-term courses. Um, we're working on some pop-ups on negotiating, on trying to achieve a flexible work policy or at least a flexible work arrangement with a current employer. And then our, our probably our most popular course is our course for returners, mm. which is women who've opted out, taken a career break and want to get back into work. But as Kelly and I have found, many women join that course who have worked all the way through, but they're making a major pivot. Right. So right now, kind of the, the catchphrase is the comeback career. I love that. That's what we're all about. You want to tell them how we met? Yeah. So um, we actually were both keynote speakers at a women's conference. And at the end of the conference, I I said, okay, I need to have a conversation with Susan because there I was finding in my own personal practice, my own private practice with my clients that I was really working on the you know, the side of the woman that was trying to figure out what is her why, where is she going next? What direction does she want her career to go in? And then Susan does a lot of those tangible pieces of, well, then how do you brand yourself? How do you, you know, get that out so that people understand your story? And then how do you do your resume? How do you do um, set up your LinkedIn profile, the negotiating of Um, a contract when that comes to be? How do you set up your networking plan? And both of us having been returners ourselves, we both took time off to stay home with our families. We get it. We totally understand what it's like to get yourself back in the game. Right. And we wished so much that there had been something out there for us when we were doing that ourselves. So we sat down one day at lunch and then that is when Prepare to Launch You was Mm -hmm. actually born. And we started first doing live seminars for women. And then we, um, about two and a half years, almost three years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. About two and a half, we actually put together a course, but it was a live course that mirrors what our online course is now. But you know, when we first spoke before you started recording, you were talking about how when you're an entrepreneur, sometimes you have to kind of look at where your revenue is coming from, right? And different ways of meeting the needs of your clients and meeting the market demand. And for us, doing the course live was fabulous, but we could only meet the needs of 10 women at a time in Connecticut. Right. And as we looked at how we could possibly bring it out to a broader audience, we finally settled on building an online course. And when when we launched it, we thought, okay, great. They're going to take the course and it's going to be perfect. And the first women, the first couple of months, the first women across the country who took it, Signed up. Signed up and and never finished it. I mean, I think one person finished it. Yep. Literally. (laughs) So, okay, then we thought, we got to figure what's going on because are they unhappy? Is it not working? And we pulled a focus group together. People were very eager to participate. And they basically said, I lost my mojo. I need to be part of a community. I need to be held accountable. Totally. So we went back to the drawing board and now we only offer the course two to three times a year. It's only offered in a cohort for- format with a f- fixed group of women who meet with us via video call every single week of the course. I'm so glad to hear that because that's exactly the format that mirrors the new job search course that we launched here called Hired. Yeah. And you have to do it in community. You, re- I think people are so isolated on the job search, especially mm-hmm. hearing from people in a similar situation. So I love this community you've built specifically around career comeback, right? Like that whole concept. 
What are some of the unique challenges women face when marketing themselves after taking some time off, whether it's for maternity leave or other things, but you know, taking time off to care for a loved one or family leave of any kind? What are some of the challenges they face on the way back? Well, I think the biggest challenge are those first three steps. And that is number one, knowing who you are. So much changes when you take a maternity leave or you, you take that time away to care for family, be it somebody who is sick in your family, your values change during that time. And it, you need to take a real conscious look at what those shifts are. And, and then once you have that understanding of, here's who I am, this is, this is who I am now. Well, what direction do I want to go in? What's motivating me to return to work? Is it that I need the money? Is it that I need the intellectual stimulation? What are the factors that are motivating me to want to get back to work? And then how do I determine what direction to actually go in? I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, well, I was an accountant, so that's what I am. Mm -hmm. And many of us took jobs in our 20s based on market demand based on advice from an advisor or a parent who said, oh, Susan, you're a good writer, go to law school, without really having done a deep dive to understand. And you know what? At 22, you don't really know yourself very well anyway, because you aren't fully formed. So we give women permission, and Kelly does a great job in the early parts of our course of really speaking to that softer side of the woman, that personal side, which is often neglected, which frankly, I was neglecting in my private practice until I met Kelly, I kind of just brushed over it. And we do a very deep dive because you're, first of all, you have experiences during your opt-out years that matter. We help you identify them, quantify them, and we give you permission to actually validate them as work currency, something that's worthy of being on a resume and worthy about to be discussed on in an interview. So it's understanding those skills, but also understanding, okay, now that I'm 40, what has changed and what do I really want to do now? So we make sure that of our 12-week course, six weeks are spent, as Kelly said, kind of working on that why. Mm. And the motivators are key. If you have a financial imperative for returning to work, you may realize that going back as an accountant is the most prudent choice. For now. Right. Many women at this point have either saved enough money or in a, in a relationship where they have the luxury of time to create, find that job that really fits them now. And the other piece of what happens is that during that time away, women get themselves into a defined role. They're, you know, the values have changed, but there's this dangerous thing that happens where they stop being the visionaries of their own lives and their own careers. And we really work with them on building a clear vision for themselves again. And oftentimes it, mm -hmm. it falls into that category of what Susan said of just giving them permission to do that, giving them some tools to be able to do that and some time to be able to do that. And then the other big obstacle is the support system that you mm -hmm. put around you. You have to be strategic about that support system. It can't just be on the fly. I think I'm going to make this happen. It's on the fly and I'm going to make this happen, our plans B and C. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have a solid plan A, a really good game plan, a lot of really good solid people, and you have to be willing to accept the help. We don't always, you know, we want to do it our mm -hmm. way. And, you know, people have to grow into the roles that, you know, in the shoes that you've filled in that time away. And so through that early process, what they're really growing in a word is their confidence. And, and if, if that's the one simple answer to what do women most struggle with, it's confidence. So I want to ask you about that phrase you just dropped into your answer, work currency. 
One of the biggest challenges I hear is when it comes to confidence on the job hunt, really translating those transferable skills, especially when you're navigating a big transition, like going from taking time off to back in the job hunt saddle for the first time in a while, or even navigating a job search across industries. So trying to move from accounting to nonprofit management. What does the work currency phrase really mean to you? And how do you help folks identify and communicate what's transferable? Well, the first thing we have them really analyze. So like I, I started out in marketing. So you just take a whiteboard and you do that clean sheet data dump, write it all down. And a lot of it really comes down to language. An employer doesn't really care at the end of the day where you accomplish something. They're looking for some context, but they care most about what you did and what were your results. So often someone will come to us and they'll show us what they've got and they'll put down, you know, Tooten Hills Elementary School parent-teacher organization. I mean, that doesn't sound professional, right? Right. So instead, you could put this, this particular school is in Simsbury, Connecticut, near where we live. Simsbury, Connecticut Public Schools, you know, uh, development leader. And instead of saying, you know, I ran the, you know, Halloween boobash, <laughs> you say, you know, I mean, it's, it's again, it's, it's the vernacular. It's saying, ran, you know, executed a large-scale event for- Manage this many- yeah. Volunteers, 50 volunteers, 1,200 attendees, and give it some context. You know, grew attendance by 40% year over year, grew revenue by 100% year over year. Mm-hmm. And focusing on the things where you're successful. So again, context, if I'm a business person, I'm probably not going to be too impressed if you raise $12,000, right? Because right? I've got a $120 million company or even just business unit. But I do care that you grew the revenue. So really looking at what language is best going to tell a compelling story. And then also knowing what not to put on. We've seen people come to us where they put things like, you know, domestic engineer, did family meal planning. I know I have four kids. Believe me, I know that's a lot of work. Right. But I've also run a business and I've worked in the corporate world and I know that I don't want to see that on a resume. So we help them tease out what language to use, but we give them permission to entertain anything that they've done even for their family. One of the examples we use frequently is people, we had one student in Colorado in our last cohort who said, well, I really haven't done anything in 18 years. We found out that she has bought and flipped three homes. That is (laughs) worthy. That is worth currency. Right. I think just doing, you know, the work, the exercise of of writing everything down and asking people in your life, what have I done in this gap? Mm. You know, what what are things that I've done? What have I been a part of? And oftentimes our students, they don't even remember. Mm -hmm. everything that they've done that's been worthy of work currency. Right. It's interesting because I have to note, you know, we live in a world that still, as you mentioned, doesn't really value domestic labor or women's work or what has traditionally been seen as women's work, like the emotional labor of running a household. And what you're saying is be strategic, know that that's not right, but that is how it is. And until that changes, we got to play our cards right. But I would just argue one point of that. I think, I do think employers are open to it. We're, I mean, we see it. We We see it every day when our women come back to a grad call and say, oh my God, I just landed this great job and I've been out of work for 20 years. Mm. And it's a better job than I had when I left, which is not always the case, but often the case. Because often the people who value it the least are the women themselves. And it's the same thing that, you know, I say to my kids, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. 
And that's so true. If you go into an interview situation and you truly believe, and I'm, Kelly, don't you think our people really believe it when they oh, leave our course? Yeah. They, they really, don't come in believing it. No, they right. But they leave it. really believing that what they did was important because it was. When they're telling that story to an employer and they tell it with such confidence and fortitude, that affects the way the employer takes in the information. Yes, I agree. So I think that we... There's, there's a big onus on us to make sure that we are broadcasting it to the world and not just, just expecting them to know it through osmosis. Or internalizing the messages that we've gleaned from the world mm-hmm. that this work isn't important. Yeah. I hesitate to say it's, it's our fault for not having confidence. No, right? no, no, but I, no, I agree. It's not our fault, but I think we can help push it forward. Yeah. We can empower ourselves and we watch that with our students. They don't, like, like we said, they don't come in that way. And somewhere along the way, they start owning that story. They start communicating that story in a way that is empowered and has impact and influence. Mm -hmm. I love the use of the word story here because I find that it is a really important piece of not only all the public speaking work that I do, but of just job advocacy, right? Workplace Mm -hmm. advocacy requires telling a compelling narrative. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what part does storytelling play when it comes to marketing yourself after re-entering your career? It's everything. It's everything. It gives you a script to follow. So when people interview, and you can't show up in an interview with volumes of notes. Right. Right. (laughs) We prepare our candidates. We do a lot of work in the area of interview of practicing their story, telling their story, and having a story that can answer multiple questions in different ways and having it roll off their tongue. But I think the best example we could give is uh, to tell our own story is Ju Lin. Mm -hmm. She was a student of ours from North Carolina who had been out of work for what, 20 years, 19 years. Her oldest son was born, he was on the autism spectrum and and had a, she knew that the public schools are not going to be able to meet his needs. So she stayed home for 18 years and homeschooled both of her boys. And she, because there are, there's the public perception around homeschooling can be loaded. So she was not comfortable putting that on her resume, but because it occupied most of her time, she said, if I don't put that down, there's really nothing on there. And so she was feeling pretty defeated before she even got started. And through the conversations over the 12 week course, she shared with us and her cohort, all of the things that she did as a homeschooler. And it was so much more than the, just the delivery of curriculum to her two children. She was writing curriculum for other people. She was providing lesson plans for learning clusters around the state. Mm. She was advocating at the state capitol for legislation that appreciated and um, honored homeschool credits. Um, it, it just a phenomenal amount. She had, she'd done some public speaking at their state house. Mm. So once we kind of put it all together in a way that didn't scream, you know, I'm living, you know, in a bunker because I think it's the end of days, which some people perceive as the the typical homeschooler, which is not anything close to the truth, but she had to deal with the reality that she knew it. She got a job. She actually turned two top, two jobs down before she, uh, got before she took a job, all within wow. about 30 days of graduating from our course. That's fantastic. She had a great way of talking oh, about did. it too. She said, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm you know, turning down dates at the prom. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, I know yeah. there's a better one out there's there. There's a better one out there. Well, and, and, and the other thing too, that's a really dynamic example of, of what's going on. But even just our students that just started this recently mm-hmm. in, um, in the cohort that we have, just being prepared 
is a big piece of owning that story and feeling comfortable with that story. And one of our students who is a lawyer and she had been out for an extended period of time, she's a brand new student. She was telling the story on our first cohort mm-hmm. call about how she got on the elevator and she had the moment. She was mm-hmm. the moment was there. She had the audience of, you know, who she could be. She was a public defender and how she could potentially get her foot back in the door. And the moment passed her by because she was not prepared. Mm -hmm. Um, She didn't have her story ready. So I think that's another example Uh of it's owning it. It's looking how to turn the story into something that is compelling, as you use. I love that word. And then also it's practicing it and having, you know, having the conversation over and over and over again, because they're super awkward when they first start with it. Mm -hmm. It's like, those are some of the most awkward cohort calls, but we just keep cheerleading them on. Yeah. But even with our our young women clients, the women in our maternity leave course, or I met a bunch of women when I spoke at the Watermark Silicon Valley conference last week, there are just some minor semantical changes that you can make that are, I hate to make gender generalities, but in this case, there are two words that women use, one's a word, one's a phrase, that men don't. And I always say to women, if you could take the word just out of your vocabulary, well, I just did this, or I, it was just this project, take that out. You don't hear men doing that. And the other is too many I'm sorry's and too many yeah, thank yous. So a lot of apologies. So I always say, you know, if you're late to an interview, that's worthy of an apology. But if you stumble on your words in an interview or you take what you think is too long a pause, no, I'm sorry. And then the over gratitude. This happens particularly when women are navigating that early part of career. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're your sister-in-law, you mentioned at the beginning of the, of the, of the um, interview that she had to extend her maternity leave by a week because it took her practically a week to give birth to yes. have a labor to have a baby. <laughs> Shout out to my and, sister-in-law, Jessica, who just gave birth right. three weeks ago after a 90 hour labor. So yes. God, I hope she wasn't thanking them for that extra week. I right. mean, they should be thanking her for coming back. But so really looking at the language that we use, what does it say when we apologize? profusely and repeatedly. I'm so, I'm so sorry to do this to you. Right. Or I'm so sorry. I know how much time you, you know, how busy you are. Mm. You know? Or even just the wind. So we also, because we're doing video calls with the people and they're practicing with us um, where we can see them. It's the facial expression. It's the wince. I could say to you, Emily, you know, I, 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 I'm going to need another week off. Or I could say it, you know, Emily, I'm going to need another week off. Yeah. And you can hear the difference in my voice. Yep. So really teaching them to make demands with confidence. And and a lot of it just comes down to that, knowing who you are, feeling that sense of value that you develop mm. over time. Over time. Over time. It's a process. It's a process, especially when you've stepped out for a period of time. There's reason for people to feel insecure, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is a very competitive labor market, despite the tremors in our economy right now. It's still a very competitive hiring environment. And I find that, especially for folks who've taken time off or who are navigating a career transition, there is reason to feel out of the game, right? They are out of the game. So tell me what it looks like to practice being more prepared. You know, how do people actually get that story down? How do people feel more confident? What does the time and effort and energy look like? Well, you have to pause first because your life is exponentially busy. Mm -hmm. And if you don't take that pause and that period of time and give yourself permission to work on these things, then they're never going to happen. It's never going to grow in your life. And you need to practice. Yeah. And Kelly mentioned earlier having a tribe. You need to surround yourself with people who are supporting you and can help lead your way. And, and, and strategically practice. think about that tribe. Mm-hmm. Who are the people in your tribe? You don't want just a bunch of cheerleaders. You know, you right. want you want the allies 
but you want allies that, you know, can pick you up when you hit the mat, but they can also be allies that give you those hard truths, Mm -hmm. you know, because they've earned, they've earned that right to, you know, know, they're not going to shame you. They're not going to make you feel bad about yourself, but they're going to give you a hard truth if you're maybe not doing enough of what, you know, you should be doing. Accountability, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's pause. Just the simple answer to the question is how do you prepare? You pause, you practice, and you make sure you're practicing the right things. And you do that by having some guidance, whether it be through a course or through podcasts or however you get your information. But there is a lot of competing information out there. And sometimes it can be just, just dizzying trying to figure out who to listen to. Totally. So you need to find, you need to find good advice, but I want to just pick up on something you said, Emily, if I could. Yeah. I think that the pivoting now, and even the returning is less difficult than it was a decade ago because the whole workplace paradigm has changed. Mm. So, and the millennials are leading the way. So we're looking at, you know, when I went into the workplace and I started my career in the late eighties and early nineties, and probably even you who started mm-hmm. a decade later, it was nothing. get on a rung, go straight up the ladder. Right. And that was the visual. And now that's been replaced by a lattice. So, and the millennials are leading the way because they care less about title. Right. They care more about acquiring skills, learning, being challenged, in many cases, being fulfilled. fulfilled and work. so what it does is it, it creates a climate in the workplace that is much more open, particularly for the woman who's pivoting, which you mentioned, to take that jump mm-hmm. and go sideways or even go slightly down as part of a larger plan. So I think how wonderful is it? And mm-hmm. you can look at it two ways. You can look at it like, oh my God, this is overwhelming. Now I don't even know what lane I'm in. But I choose, tend, I, I choose to look at it really positively that you can pick a lane and you're not stuck there. Totally. And there's so much value in what you do. And because jobs are changing, I was asked a few years ago to be on a panel that talked about the future of the workplace in five years. And I sat on the panel, I said, anybody here who can say with any confidence that they know what the workplace is going to look like in five years is lying. Because we (laughs) don't. Because jobs are changing so quickly due to technology. Mm. I mean, each change of technology has a ripple effect in the job market for different jobs that need to be created to fulfill that product need, right? Totally. And so I say to pivoters, what a great time to pivot. Mm-hmm. And if you're feeling that, explore it. Yeah. I talked to a woman. I met a woman at the VIP reception the night before the conference last week in California. And she told me a, a story about having been an engineer, a software engineer. And she just said, you know, I really wasn't interested in that anymore. And I, I really found out that I wanted to get into quality control on the hardware side, which is a total departure. And she was so cute. She said, I went up to my manager. I sat down. I talked to her. I said, this is what I'm interested in. And and she supported me, even though it meant losing me. Mm-hmm. And this was a couple of years ago. She's now above the level she, which, that she was. Mm-hmm. She took a small dip to get into that quality control area. But now she is a level above where she was a year ago in this new field. And she loves it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it comes back to story, right? Because what you're saying is so true. Pivoting is normal now. It is Mm -hmm. expected. Mm -hmm. One of our themes at Bossed Up this year that stemmed from our our planner community this year, we have a life tracker planner that folks all over the world are using. Oh, I saw that. I love that. And it's all about embracing adventure and seeing our career trajectories as a fluid adventure with lots of ups and downs and seeing challenges as opportunities and, you know, not shying away from what we really want. And I was reminded of how story connects to explaining that adventure when my husband actually told me about an interview he conducted the other week for his 
organization that he's a part of. He's a manager at a small batch cabinet manufacturer here in Denver. And they do high-end sort of custom cabinetry and installation work. And a very qualified architect and designer was being interviewed for a project manager role. And Brad comes from the world of architecture. He's a, he's what I lovingly call a recovering architect. And (laughs) they kept asking this gentleman in his interview, well, why do you want to work here? And he just kept going back to his past experiences and how great they were and how qualified he was. And they couldn't really understand the story or the narrative or the reasoning behind why he would want to get into building because designing and building are two very different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But connect the dots. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Connect the dots for them explicitly. Mm -hmm. And because that, that case wasn't made explicitly, they turned him down. You know, he was a very qualified candidate, but they didn't trust him. Well, because he hadn't envisioned himself there. I mean, that's part of it is envisioning yourself there and being able to explain. You don't really trust someone whose explanation you can't understand. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So story is such a big part of establishing trust. And I actually had the chance to study public narrative and organizing with Marshall Gans at the Kennedy School of Government a decade ago. And he really taught me as an organizer that the, the framework for storytelling is challenge, choice, and outcome. And that's something I work with my job search clients on, which is what is the challenge you faced in your career or life, the choice you made, and the outcome that you experienced or the lesson learned that brought you into my office today? Why are you here? (laughs) Why do you want to be here? And unless you can give a compelling story, people aren't going to trust your reasoning. I think in all of that, what you're teaching them too is reflection. And I think that as you are cultivating your story and getting better at telling your story, you have to do that reflective component that has to be a piece of that because that allows you to get better at telling your story. Mm-hmm. So if you on that, if you're on that elevator and that big moment arises and it doesn't go so great, well, what's the reflection? What do you need to do for yourself to get that story so mm-hmm. that it is compelling? Fascinating. I love this. Well, first of all, ladies, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for sharing your your time and talents with our audience today. If our listeners want to follow up with you and learn more about Prepare to Launch You, what would be the first step to doing so? I think the easiest place to go is our website, which is www.preparetolaunchu, and that's the letter U, dot com. We're also on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We're kind of on Twitter. Yeah. We, haven't really, we haven't done a lot on Twitter yet. No but problem. all of those links are available on our website too. I love this. And they, they can find both Susan and I on LinkedIn. That's right. Um, we're actually uh, LinkedIn learning authors. Yeah. So we have a course out. We have a few more courses in the hopper well, right yeah, now. Yeah, the hopper now. So you can find us there if you have mm-hmm. um, a LinkedIn learning subscription or Kelly Biskubiak and or Susan Rotano David. Yeah. I love it. We will drop links to all of that in today's show notes. Thank you both so much for being here. Oh, it was great being yes. here. Thanks. And yes. good luck to you, Emily. Yes. Thanks, Emily. To learn more and get links to all of those resources that Kelly and Susan shared on today's episode, head to bossedup.org slash episode 202. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week, which comes in from Jen, who posted in the Bossed Up Courage community. Here's what she said. After talking to my partner, therapist, and friends, I decided to do the very frightening and necessary work of quitting my toxic job before I have another lined up and before I end up in a pit of despair. 
Instead of just running away from a tough situation, a habit from my youth, I'm running forward towards better health and boundaries. It feels amazing to have power and agency over my mental health, but it's still scary though. (laughs) Jen, I feel you. And thank you so much for sharing this inspiring boss move. Quitting a job before you've got your next one lined up is always scary. But as I say, it's only up to you to weigh the risks versus the rewards. I know how damaging to your personhood and your mental health staying in a toxic situation can be, whether it's a relationship or a workplace. You have to put yourself first in order to take that next step towards your best next opportunity. So we're cheering you on. We are looking forward to hearing from you in the Courage community as you navigate this transition and know that it is worth it. It is worth it to put yourself first, to advocate for yourself, even when there are risks involved, even when it's scary. We're rooting for you. And frankly, we're inspired to hear from you because I think there's a lot of folks out there who want to make the same choice and just need to know that others have been there before and that it all can turn out okay. So keep us posted and congratulations on making this bold and courageous choice. Our Courage community is so here for you. And uh, and I want to hear from you after you navigate your next step. So keep us in the loop and I'd love to keep in touch and keep Boston together. That's all I got for you today, bosses. Thanks so much for listening. And as a reminder, if you are a job seeker looking for support, accountability, and to take your job search skills to the next level and really hone them and fine tune them for the 21st century job search, Join Hired, our new job search accelerator program that I myself will be running over the next three months, March, April, and May. So if 2020 is the year to land your dream job, head to bossstuff.org slash get hired and enroll today. In the meantime, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb. <laughs>